hairs on my body started standing on end. Silent. Nothing there. I fought to get back into my body. You are going to be a vital importance of helping us convince the masses. Type 471. Type 471. Bridge to the other world. Bridge to the other world. Welcome to Type 471. I'm Sam Kitchen. My guests today are Mantra and Kyle, a Bigfoot researching married couple in Washington State. And uh, I'm, I'm happy to speak with you guys today because my girlfriend and I have recently teamed up as Bigfoot, fellow Bigfoot researchers ourselves, and I want to get some pointers from you guys. So Mantra and Kyle, welcome to Type 471. How are you folks doing today? Well, Good. thank you. Thanks for having us. Good. Yeah. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm very eager to learn from you. And uh, you were just mentioning to me a moment ago off mic that you live about 45 minutes from squatchiness. Now, there, there are a couple of things that, that I'm really interested in getting into with you guys. I mean, all kinds of stuff, obviously. But uh, I want to focus on, first of all, the, the relationship dynamic that you bring to your Sasquatch research. And uh, there's this other element where I am trying to focus on how to cultivate uh, interactions with Sasquatches as near to home as as people can get, you know, like like where we can go to the nearest places and have uh, recurring Sasquatch interactions. So when you guys mentioned to me that, you know, you live 45 minutes from the Squatchiness, it kind of brought that to mind. So, you know, I'm just really interested in talking to you guys today. So I want to start with, uh, did were, were you researchers before you got married or did you get married and then research and your own individual experiences? What got you guys into all this? I want to hear all of it. So take it away. <laughs> Well, okay. So, so actually we're engaged. We're not married yet, but we're engaged. So we're, we're headed towards, headed towards marriage here, but, um, oh, okay. Gotcha. But, um, I just, I don't want our friends to hear this and go, wait a minute. <laughs> Do <they have> <laughs> I didn't, I didn't RSVP. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got left up. But, um, we actually met, uh, by both having an interest in this field. So, um, we met at, um, yeah, at a conference that's uh, it's a private conference called Beachfoot that happens every year. Oh yes. And so, um, but I'll just speak for myself, and then and then Kyle can tell you his history. But for me, um, how I got into this field was I had an incident when I was right around twelve or thirteen years old, where I was out in the woods around Sonora, California, um, the Twain Heart area to be precise, and uh, I was by myself. It's a long story, but anyhow, I kind of went down this path that was by uh, a camping area and um, had something that I saw that was watching me. And um, I was absolutely terrified. Didn't tell anybody about it till I think I was in my late twenties, early thirties. And at that time I was told um, by my oldest brother, he says, Oh, you really need to get on this website called, you know, the BFRO and you need to file a report and tell them what you saw and what happened. So reluctantly I did. And uh, within a short period of time, I got a call from a woman who was Kathy Strain. And uh, so Kathy had called me and um, we chatted for, gosh, I think about three hours the first time we talked. And she lived about an hour, hour and a half from me. 
And uh, she had been researching for a long time and said, hey, you want to join me and doing some research? And I said, sure. So we ended up going out in the field together. And that's kind of how all this came to be. One thing led to another. And so here we are today, <laughs> a long time later. But that was about, for me, it was 1999 when um, I ended up joining the BFRO and, and I was um, a curator for, for a while. And over time, I ended up leaving the BFRO. And um, so here we are now in Washington. But Kyle, he's been doing this a very long time as well. So, yeah, I grew up I, my family. We grew up hunting and fishing, and we spent a lot of time outdoors. Yeah, I had a sighting when I was very young. Also, um, we used to go hunting in the mountains with my grandparents. Just kind of like being out there in the middle of nowhere, I'd always come across the footprints and stuff, and then always kind of very interested, you know. And then, you know, you'd see the, you know documentaries and stuff and you're just like you know gosh i just saw those tracks just like that you know and just became interested you know the more time i spent outside the more time researching this and um you know kind of pinpointing areas down where i'd see the tracks i'd revisit those tracks and a lot of times it was the same time of year that those tracks would show up so yeah that's how i got into it just you know being an avid outdoorsman Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Was there an actual sighting that, that also kind of, I, I believe you were saying that there, there was an actual Bigfoot encounter that, that also was an inciting incident. Was there not? Yes. I actually had two of them. Actually my first sighting, I saw two of them. Oh, sweet. Yeah. And, uh, so this area that I grew up on, it's along the Yakima river. We lived across the freeway from it. So as we were kids, you know, we played this huge area that's just all along the river and you know, you could go fish and catch crawdads, and we just kind of played down there as kids. But what was really interesting is why I was always down there, it always felt like I was being watched. It was always really odd, you know, but we, we'd stay down there, you know, every day we'd go down there, like, especially like during the summertime when we were out of school, we'd always play down there in the river because there's lots of big tree canopies and there's lots of like little tunnels and stuff that go through the, tr the trees. And, you know, as a kid, you can go down there and like, you know, build a fort do all that kind of stuff and we play down there and we'd always and it was really weird because there was always very strange things that happened you know we'd, we'd hear things or or we'd find footprints or you know or you know just from spending time down there but one night i was down there and um i saw something out of my i was in my truck actually and i saw something out of my mirror and i thought what the heck is that because these two one was really tall and one was a little shorter than the other one but they're both covered in hair and um, so I turned the lights on on my truck. And once the lights hit them, it was so weird because, you know, like most animals, if you put a light on them, you know, they, they react, you know. Well, when I turned the truck lights on, the truck lights were really bright. I turned the brights on and hit them with the brights. They, they didn't jump, move, run or nothing. They just slowly walked across the road and walked down into the trees. And I thought, what the heck? I thought, wow. I thought, wow, you know, so then I just brought a very curiosity, you know, I started going into the, some of the old um, archives and stuff like that to see, has there ever been any sightings down in that area before? And I w went back in some of the old newspaper articles and stuff, and there had been sightings. In fact, there's been quite a few sightings in that area that date all the way back a very long time ago. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But it's like, you know, there's so much fish down there and every, there's lots of fish and crawdads. and, and you no, know, I can go down there and hide and nobody can find, I mean, the trees are, you know, 30 feet plus, you know, and there's just a big like belt 
that goes all the way along both sides of the river. And uh, so what's pretty cool about it, too, though, is that river, you know, it goes all the way up and into the mountains. So, you know, they can travel that creek and those rivers, you know, with coverage on both sides, you know, probably at night. But I noticed, you know, during a certain time of year that they'd be really active down there. And it was um, usually in the early spring or it'd be late in the fall when hunt when hunting season came in. I kind of try to put it together. But I think what, what was happening is because that's a game preserve along there, too, is when hunting season come, they would come down low where the deer and stuff came because they can be hunted down there. You know, there's no hunting down there. So pretty pretty smart actually you know if you think about it yeah yeah so you're saying they pay attention to the fact that it's a wildlife preserve and uh yep. they know that they're that they're safe in there and that there aren't going to yep. be hunters there so it's like their own little little eden <laughs> yeah yep. <laughs> yeah i mean i it, it never ceases to amaze me just how smart they are like um like bobo uh james bobo fay was recently telling me uh, about them flagging down like an injured Sasquatch flagging down an ambulance like they know exactly what an ambulance is for you know they pay very right. close attention to us and what we do and and they they you know figure stuff out like that so the, the fact that they figure out that this is a wildlife preserve and they're not going to get shot there it comes as no surprise but yeah it is amazing though nonetheless yeah well you know what's so amazing is the city's so close to that and you're and you're and you think to yourself, well, how could they be coming down there for this many years, you know, being that big and not being found? You know, I mean, their skills are amazing. I mean, the camouflage is just, this, it's just yeah, different. you know, you just don't even know. You're not even sure because there's some things that happen down there that just don't even make sense. I mean, I have no idea what they're capable of. I don't think most people do. I, I doubt there's a person alive who has ever fully understood them. Some people get closer than others, of course, but. Yeah. Um, so what are some of those, what are some examples of those things that just don't make sense, Kyle? Well, I'll tell you what, me and my, I want to have Mantra tell you this story because this, this is, <laughs> this is pretty wild. And this happened last year, right? It was about a year. Last year? I think it was, it was last, last year, yeah, last year. Yeah. yeah. About this time, actually. Yeah. So, so something else that, um, so Kyle and I, we were really into the, the whole Bigfooting thing and we've been doing that for a long time, but we also have some, some other interests too. Um, my other, yeah. my other specialty is is ghost hunting and paranormal, and his other specialty is is UFOs. UFOs. Yeah. Oh, and excellent! So, so we kind of combine on all different things, and and um, but so anyhow, so we had a, a real estate agent up here in the Tri Cities who contacted us. I run a little um, a little meetup group called Tri Cities Paranormal too, which we've been not doing much of anything because of COVID. So, uh, but anyway, we've got over two hundred members in it, which is cool, but. Um, so anyway, <laughs> this real estate woman had found us on meetup and she called and said, Hey, you know, I'm doing this, uh, you know, seven days of Halloween or whatever it was kind of thing. And I'm doing something spooky for seven days. I'm going to be posting the, the little videos and interviews on my, uh, my real estate site and, you know, kind of generate business and stuff and make it really cool. And she said, would you be interested in in being the big finale doing something you know ghost hunting or bigfooting or something we said sure yeah so we told her you know we'll we'll gladly take you out to one of our creepiest sites but just just know in advance that you know if anything happens we're not responsible <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna sign an invisible waiver here <laughs> uh, an otherworldly disclaimer yes yeah so uh <laughs> 
<laughs> so she says, oh, yeah, yeah, no, it'd be great. It'd be great. So, okay. So her and um, this other really nice woman, they came out. We met them over at, at one of our spots down there. We hiked in just a short distance. And this is the same and, area um, where I saw my two, my he, first two. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, and there's there's trails and stuff you can walk it because during the day there's there's the publics down there and hiking and stuff and whatnot whatnot. So, anyhow, so we walked a little ways and it was I think about what nine o'clock at night, something like yeah, that. Yeah, it was dark. Yeah, it was dark. There's nobody down there at that time. Yeah, parking um, lots empty. Yeah, parking lot's empty. So we went off the trail and down into this area that I was talking about, yeah. where it's it's almost like it's Giant yeah, there's just this big kind of opening, not a big opening, but an opening that you can duck just a little bit to get through, and all of a sudden you're in this big canopy of trees, kind of like a like a tree tent, you know. And sure. uh, um, so we went in there, and she had, I think she was taping us. Yeah, yeah she, she was recording on her video, video camera. And the other one was was doing the interviewing and talking to us with a little light of some kind. I can't remember. Yeah. And I had a giant flashlight that I always keep when we go out at night. But so Kyle and I are talking, and and I just started to go into a little bit of what had happened at at that spot with Kyle. And we hear something really big and really heavy running right at us, running through this opening that we had come through, which is now probably oh. 30 feet away from us um, in the dark and coming fast and like branches and <laughs> just all this noise. And but stuff. you could hear the foot. You could the feel I mean, the could vibration. Feel, I mean, it was. It was whatever it was, it was heavy, heavy and yeah. it was running at us like right boom, at boom, us. Boom, 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 boom. Like, a, and like a burst of energy. I mean, you could feel the wind come right at yeah. you, but you couldn't see it. And these two women, they both screamed and they lunged at Kyle. Who it was, was knocked me down. I mean, these two yeah, girls about, they, knocked him over. These two girls, they jumped at me. I mean, and, and so and they looked at us and they were like, that was it. They so, were done. <laughs> as this happened, so I swung around and I hit my flashlight and there's nothing there. Mm. Nothing. And no wind, no, no wind, no more sound, no nothing, not even a, a leaf falling, nothing. I mean, all of us had to duck a little bit and, you know, you get brushed by leaves and branches and stuff getting in there. So there should have there should have been something now there are deer in the area and there are i think i saw a porcupine one time and i'm sure there's plenty of skunks but this was something really large and really heavy and if coming I, if I, really I'm, fast I'm six foot two 240 pounds and if i ran at like a linebacker ran at it that wouldn't even compare i mean it was probably yeah. twice as heavy as me yeah it was something that was really heavy so um and it was very much on two legs running yeah so you could hear it. there was no like feet. galloping or anything yeah. like that so needless to say that they, they were a little shook shook up and oh, they were scared <laughs> they were scared to they, 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 they walked right out of there and they didn't want to go back down well because i was saying hey you know um why don't we we should probably just stay here for a little bit and figure this out and you know this is what this is what they came for right and and so they they wanted to go back to the car so we walked them back to the car but during our walk back we could hear something in the brush that was kind of pacing us now i don't know what this was and i'm not saying it was a sasquatch yeah, I, don't I, I don't know what it was but whatever it was it was something and it, it wasn't something that we could see so whatever bucket that falls in i have no idea but it sounded very like it was gonna do something terrible to us 
And yeah, so so what what is happening in those moments, I wonder, because this is very similar to other things I've heard where, you know, like it's so loud that it makes your clothes vibrate and it's, you know, it's so <laughs> close you can feel this, you know, this energy. You, this... you can feel the wind from it. You know, you can feel the energy yeah. come right at you. That's why the drills lunged forward on and hit me. Yeah, they hit it Kyle. I mean, they I mean, hit they, 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 yeah. yeah. So. Wow. But I don't know. And it, I mean, Kyle and I, we we were privileged enough to go out to um, the Skinwalker Ranch area out there in the Uinta Basin a couple of years back, and Ooh. and we saw and experienced some weird stuff there, but nothing, nothing like that. What I would like to do as we proceed, I would like to get into some notable research experiences that each of you had before you teamed up, and then compare that to some experiences you've had afterward and get into how the couple dynamic has affected uh, your research experience. So let's start. Yeah. Um, can, can each of you tell me uh, a, a, just one notable experience that happened before you got together uh, in, in the Bigfoot research world? So for me, um, Kathy, who's she's my best friend, Kathy Strain, she and I, when we were doing research together, we were going out to a number of different places. We had um, one spot that was we'd been out quite a few times that was up around the Lake Tahoe area by the Desolation Wilderness. We at that time were were doing something I'm sure you're you're familiar with, but call blasting, mm-hmm. where you are blasting out sounds of purported Sasquatch. They've, you know, these recordings have been run through Texas A&M and places where they've been um, determined to not be a human and they're not mechanical. And generally, they'll come back as unknown primate is how they'll come back, the vocalizations. Mm -hmm. Now, what they're saying, I have no idea. It could be anything from where are you to a mating call to who knows what. So Kathy and I were were blasting out these sounds on a speaker, and our hope was to get a return call of some kind to know that that something's there and and to draw something in, too, as well. So one of the times we were there... We were doing some call blasting and we'd stayed the night out there. And the next morning around us, uh, probably, I don't know, not close enough where we even heard it happening, but there were several huge, I mean, much probably if I, yeah, a lot bigger than my thigh anyway, um, trees that were just snapped and twisted, not just broken like a bear was trying to climb in and it broke. They were actually wrenched and something with a lot of power is, is the only thing that could have done that kind of damage. Man, um, twisting, trees, twisting a tree like that. That's just incredible. Yeah. I've never seen anything like that except maybe out in the forest when I've been in some areas where they do clear cutting and stuff, you know, if there's an accident or something, they're trying to chop something down and they twist it. But other than that, I've seen trees on rare occasions that are twisted like that. I think I've got a picture to one. Yeah. Yeah. But so, yeah, it, whatever it was, we made it apparently really mad. And that was, uh, that was pretty interesting. Kathy and I had a lot of really cool things happen to us over time because we would go out and it was just us two women. And that's something that, um, that I've really had an, an avid interest in is just women doing research out in the field because I believe we tend to get different results because we're more approachable. Our voices are softer. We smell quite different. We've got different pheromones we're pumping out the whole time. Um, and depending on 
what's in the area if you're you're able to find an area where there have been recent sightings. And I believe if it was some sort of like a rogue male or something, you might have more interaction if, if it's two women out there. Right, so. right. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I am kind of intentionally focusing a lot on deliberately paying attention to both the the male and the female side of the Sasquatch encounter experience because men and women do tend to have such different sides of the experience. And so yeah. I've I've been getting to know a lot of female researchers. It's it's incredibly valuable to see you know, the kind of experiences that, that women have. I don't know if you're familiar with Kathy Blunt and Pearl Prehoda. They are two female researchers that, that come to mind. Just the fact of being female makes one person have a certain kind of experience with this. And, and, and so, uh, so is true with being male. So, you know, it's just necessary to, to synthesize all the information and get the whole picture. So I agree with you there. Yeah, and I I do think that um it's true that men look at it a different way than women, and I I think um I think women just by nature, and I'm sure people are going to disagree with me on this, but are maybe more intuitive when it comes to things like that as well. And um, just because we have to be, we're supposed to connect with your kids and and be able to know if they're hurt or they're hungry or whatever more so I think than than men do just just you know by nature. So I think women kind of have a little more of sensitivity to um, to their environment and, and such. I think that's just my my own personal opinion. But sure, yeah, that that certainly can be the case. I, I yeah, I certainly see the reasoning there. Uh, Kathy and I had a lot of really cool things happen, um, and I mean that's just kind of one in a in a lot of things. And and we always had so much fun doing it, which I really I have to say, you know, when you're doing research, especially fringe when i say fringe i mean anything ghost hunting ufo you know the bigfoot stuff you're never going to really get paid to do any of this stuff so you have to really have a passion for it and you have to have fun doing it if you don't then it's just not worth doing and so i mean i kyle and i have so much fun out in the field together and and part of that um kathy and i just we had a great time we'd always end up laughing and trying to find our snacks and you know all that kind of stuff so but anyhow i'm gonna pass it over to Kyle here. Okay. Yeah. And, and when you mentioned that you guys are into all things paranormal, I mean, come on, you guys are a couple after my own heart. I, (laughs) I I was so glad to hear that because yeah, I research, you know, the whole spectrum of paranormal phenomena and, uh, I am very much into whatever the paranormal aspect of Sasquatch is. And, you know, that's certainly coming up a lot. And I really, I, you mentioned Skinwalker Ranch a minute ago. I really want to get into that. I don't want you to think I'm not excited about that because I am very excited about it. <laughs> so, so first I just want Kyle to tell me about one experience, one research experience that he had, uh, before you guys got together and then we'll, we'll continue on from there. Well, mine, you know, by spending all that time down there, I'm talking about many years of going down there. Right. And I've always known that they're after seeing those two, I knew I was like, they, they must come down through here at certain times. And so I'd always go down there. And then um, I hadn't been down there for quite a few years. I went down there and they build these like little teepee kind of structures underneath the trees. I'll be, build like a little shelter. And it was frozen and it was snowing. And I had one of my buddies that I hadn't seen for like 20 years here. And he just happened to call me and he's like, hey, you know what? What you doing? I was like, not much. You wanna? I said, hey, you want to go to? You want to go squatching with me? And he's like, oh, yeah, sure. You know, so I go picked him up. Then we went down there to that spot. And it's during the wintertime. It's frozen. It's snowing. 
and there's nobody. I mean, there's nobody around. There's nobody, right? So I go to the first, you know, teepee structures because I know every year they build these little structures. They almost look like a, an Indian built them. You know, they're like a teepee. Like they take a lean a, a tree that's leaning out, and then they put a bunch of branches against it, almost like a little fort. Right. Yeah. And um, so I go, I go in there, right? And, and this is the road. The this year the river is frozen all the way across. Usually the Yakima's pretty fast moving river and it doesn't usually freeze that hard but it froze really hard that time um so you couldn't get the water it was all frozen mm-hmm. well i went in there with my buddy and we didn't see anything we didn't see anything it was just kind of just some snow on the ground and not much you know some branches and stuff in there so we went down further because this is you know miles of this and so we went down to check out a couple of the other little structures that i always check on and um those were pretty bare so on the way back we stopped at the first structure that we went to and we walked into it and there was a whole bunch of fish on the floor and they were actually moving and they were flip they were they looked like they just came somehow they got got there and they were flipping flipping around on the ground still inside alive, yeah. still alive in the hut whoa oh my gosh so you this was like moments after the sasquatch had been there yeah, like 15 minutes. Yeah. And, and and this is the thing is, too, is so, remember I was told you, I thought that when I was down there playing all the time and I'd go down there fishing, well, what I always did, because I always thought that there was some animal or something there, I'd always leave a couple fish behind. So every time I'd fish down there, I'd leave two fish behind. And me, personally, I'm, I'm thinking to myself when I went in there, they're like, hey, we remember you, here's your fish, you know? But it's even weirder because you can't get any fish out of the water because it's, it's frozen. frozen all the way across and it's winter time. You don't catch those kind of fish during the winter time. It wasn't, uh, the, the ice wasn't thinner near the, the shore or anything like that. No, no, uh-uh, it's thick. Well, that's a puzzler. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. There's certain things that happen in this field that you're just like, you scratch your head and you try to go over and over to try to figure it out. And you're just, and there is no, there is, there's nothing. I mean, I don't know how. Yeah. Yeah. And and that same sort of thing pops up again and again where where it's it's like logic would say, oh, the fish must have, you know, come out of right here, this body of water. But then, you know, there's all there's always the additional kind of brain teaser of, well, these fish couldn't have come out of this water, had to come from somewhere else. And, you know, that same sort of thing pops up over and over again. Why didn't we hear him? Why didn't we hear it or see it? Because it was just a matter of minutes. I mean, it wasn't very long that we were gone. And then we came back and the fish are there. And obviously they're flipping around on the ground. So, so they just got there, you know, I got, I got pictures of it. And I was like, wow, actually, actually sent a couple of those pictures to Dave Blytus, you know, to kind of tell him about it. Just weird, just wild. Yeah. And the thing with that kind of stuff is that you end up, if you're lucky, if you're fortunate enough, you'll find somebody who's had something kind of similar happen, but it never answers any question. It just brings up more questions. So you never, you never get any closure. <laughs> you know, it's just like the, the mystery gets bigger each time because somebody may have, like I said, had something similar, but it still doesn't make any sense, you know? Right. And again, it almost seems like it's by design. It it seems... Yeah. It seems like, you know, it's just kind of some puzzle that we're all being drawn into. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and the weird thing is, is it follows you like, you know, that spot right there. We have uh, several spots, right? But 
so years, you know, e- even years after that happened, I took my RV and I put it up in a place up along the, um, up along uh, Lake Roosevelt, which is over by the Colville Indian Reservation. And uh, as soon as I put my RV there and started going up there every weekend, started having things happen up there. You know, I had a fishing hole that I'd go down there and fish at night. I'd build a little fire and I'd go down and fish because the fishing is just phenomenal. Some of the best fishing. Well, I'd leave during the middle of the night and then I'd come back in the morning and I'd have all these rock stack structures. And it, how the rock stack structures were so weird that these rocks looked like they were balanced and like, I don't know how somebody, I don't even know how to do it. I mean, I took pictures of those because those things showed up on a whole shoreline where I was fishing that night, like four to five hours later. And there was nobody down there. And for for Kyle to say that he doesn't know how those rock structures were built, it really has a lot of weight to it because Kyle is an art with rock. I mean, he builds yeah. rock walls that are I built grottos and caves. And, and, and so I for him everything. to not be able to like see that and go, oh, I could reproduce that is is pretty pretty i uh, mean some of these rocks had like a triangular figure on them and the point was balancing on another rock and then these rocks are stacked up about three feet high next to the shore next to the water and a whole riverbed of of like river rock Hmm. and there are several structures and they got left there right after i left yeah so this sounds quite a bit more elaborate than the kerns people like to build this is yeah, something yeah. different altogether. You know what it yeah. actually does remind me of exactly to a T is uh, Janice Carter's story. Are you familiar? Um, uh, vaguely. Yeah, vaguely. vaguely. I remember something about that. She I remember... had like a family of them or something that she was interacting yeah. with or something. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. 50 years with Bigfoot, the Tennessee Chronicles. Her grandfather had habituated, well, well, her grandfather had developed a relationship with this male Sasquatch and his family who lived on their farm. And Janice Carter, she also, you know, developed this relationship over a long period of time, learned their language or, you know, certain elements of their language and interacted with them and observed them very, very extensively over many, many years. And so she mentioned that they built structures exactly like what you're describing, Kyle. She watched them do it with, with her own eyes. So, I mean, you know, I just, I just had to throw that out there. That's exactly what it reminded me of. Yeah. I had, I had a um, guy from back in Tennessee came down here one time to a conference and I met him really nice guy. Steve Abney, you know, he is, uh, not off the top of my head. It does sound somewhat familiar though. Yeah. Well, he's wrote some books on Sasquatch and, um, he came here, he's from Tennessee, but him, him and his wife, they had those, um, them on their property. And so when I brought him down to my place down there and showed him all the structures, the first thing he said to me is like, he started smiling. He's like, yeah, these guys are really busy. These guys have been really busy down there. Cause he could see all the, you know, woven the trees, woven and all that stuff. Cause they'll have like these vines that they'll like they'll wolf they almost twist them together to like build this these huts and stuff you know and and the first thing steve said when he saw that he's like man these guys are busy down here and he goes they do this up in tennessee too i thought that was pretty interesting that is very interesting and you you mentioned specifically kyle that these appear they make new ones every year did you did you you were able to determine that they actually do this on a yearly basis yeah yep on a yearly basis because while I was playing down there, it was always, you know, like I said, there's, I'd fish all year long. Right. And then in the springtime, they, those things would show up and they would do that. And then in the fall, they would do it also. They would do it like twice a year, but 
sometimes they would move their places. They wouldn't put them in the exact same spots. It was in the same kind of area, but it'd be like, you know, a couple hundred yards further in or, mm. you know, it was never the same place. Right. And it's almost, it's like you can almost figure out what they're doing and why, but then that, that yeah. last, that last final logical piece is always missing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was just like up at the, up at the lake, you know, I had a deep freezer on the deck and I would put all my fish in there and at night they would come down and I'd actually be sleeping. And it was always at the same time of night. It was always around 2 a.m. Around 2 a.m. They'd come down and I could hear my freezer, my deep freezer on my deck open up and then shut really hard. And uh, they just helped themselves to the fish in there. And um, they would do that. And then all of a sudden they would do that for a couple of years. And then all of a sudden they would disappear and you wouldn't see them for a whole year. Mm. And it was really odd because it could never pinpoint. You'd think like there'd be, always be at the same time of year. Well, up there at the lake. There's these big mesa rims that go all the way around the lake. I mean, it goes all the way to Canada. It's 150 miles of the Columbia River all the way to the Canadian border. But those things would show up and be really active at my trailer. And then for like a couple of years, and then all of a sudden, nothing, not a, not a peep. Hmm. I don't know. Where he was, too, was was not somewhere where there's a lot of people. So, I mean, there he would... A lot of the activity too would be in the wintertime, and there's nobody at that. I'm the only one up there in the wintertime. Yeah, I'm, the, I'm, I'm the only one crazy enough to go fishing when it's like minus seven. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Well, you know, that actually provides us an opportunity, and I want to just kind of hone in on that for a second. Like you said, it's such a remote area. There's no human reason why they would need to leave for uh, a year and then come back. I just wonder if they rotate just to um, replenish resources in a given area. Like if they rotate their territory just to allow things to kind of kind of revitalize and replenish, and, and then they come back. Does that? What do you think of that? I think that could very possible possibly be because there's this place called Hawk Creek around the corner from the place where I was. There was an old abandoned um, uh, mill there, a wood mill. They'd bring the logs up the river, and they had one of those giant burners that they'd burn the burn the wood out and stuff. And so that was all been shut down for I don't know 50 years or more. So that that operation was shut down. So the the structure's still there, but there's nothing there but these big steep cliffs and mountains. What was really interesting is around over there around Hot Creek, I'd go in this area one time and I'd find lots of dead deer. Like I went to this area and I must have found probably like 20 dead deer. But the weird thing about them was, is um, you know, most animals, it didn't make much sense because the legs were broken, right? The legs were broken on the deer, right? The whole carcass was on the ground. So they didn't eat like the outside of the carcass or anything. But what I noticed is the 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 innards from from the from the tail of the deer, all the way up to the neck of the deer, it was opened in the middle, and and that and that was gone, but the whole body is left there on the ground. Yep. And I, got, I and I took pictures of that too because I thought, man, this is weird. You know, there's like 20 of them in this one area, and the area is only a couple hundred feet long by a couple hundred feet, and it's right next to the bank of the river. And one thing too to note is that, and I. I have to actually look this up to make sure I'm right, but from what I recall, deer liver is one of the only natural sources of, I think it's vitamin A. I remember this, I protein, could be wrong, no. but I think I think that's true. I'll have to make sure of that, but um, in out in the forest, I mean, it's it's something that's really hard to come by. So I think deer liver is something that's really um, highly palatable to, to some animals. 
Yeah, absolutely. And once again, that actually, that exact description was also present in Janice Carter's work. Uh, She described the livestock being killed by their back legs being broken. None of the actual muscle or meat would be taken, but the the guts would be, or the the abdomen would be slit open and the the organ meats would be removed. Yeah. That is incredible. You know, there's there's coyotes and there's um, wolves. And there's moose and there's bears and all that kind of stuff. But those animals will eat on the outside of it. I mean, when an animal dies, they eat, they're not picky. They'll eat everything, you know? Yeah. Sure. I just wonder, I wonder about only taking the organ meats. Because, I mean, these are huge, huge beings. They need mm-hmm. all kinds of calories. They need protein like crazy. So, and I mean. Were mule, and these were big mule deer. I mean, they're big deer. They're not. A mule deer is huge, you know? So I can totally understand eating the organ meats. They're the best source of vitamins and minerals. But why not also eat the muscle that's going to provide you so much high-quality protein? I don't, know, I don't know why they ignore the meat. Yeah, I don't know either. Maybe, I don't know, this is just throwing this out there, maybe they're vegetarian by nature, but they eat organ meat just as to supply themselves with something that they don't get from other things in the woods. I don't, I'm just throwing that out there. I have no idea, but. Well, um, it's an, it's an interesting thought. And, you know, I think that sort of creative thinking, whether it's, you know, completely correct or not, I think that sort of creative thinking needs to be applied to the problem. And it was, it is how we will eventually figure things out. So if they're more like humans, then maybe they have a longer intestine and they aren't by nature meat eaters, you know? So I know a lot of folks have said that they have seen sharp canines when they've had up close and, and personal encounter, but I don't think that's that's always been the case with, with reports that I've seen. So who knows? Maybe they don't have sharp teeth. They have a large population of bighorn sheep up there, too. I mean, the bighorn oh, yeah. sheep are everywhere up there. Up at the lake. And yeah. um, on the Colville side, I've been up in some spots where there's some pretty big cave areas up there, and I've been up there, and I've actually found lots of remains of the bighorn sheep you know obviously their horns you know and i've actually been to places where the horns were just kind of stacked up on the ground like a pyramid i'd talk and it took me all day to climb up there to by those caves and i'd see stacks of horns and i'm just like but no body parts nothing just the horns wow. and i thought that was i thought that was very odd mm-hmm. oh so. my gosh you you've got to take me to these spots sometime <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, these, these spots are, are solid granite mountains with, with pine trees on them, with caves all over them. And they're they go rugged. From, and they're rugged, and yeah. they go for miles, and they're up and down. And then water's all the way around them. A lot of times to get to those, there's no roads to get to the places where I go. I take my boat, yeah. and I go out there, and I go into these sloughs that go behind. And these granite rocks are, some of them are 1,000 feet tall, and they're solid granite. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's like being... I'm not kidding you. I've been around a lot of places, but like even first time I took mantra up there, I mean, it's like going to Jurassic Park. It's, it's, it's totally awesome. Yeah. There's a, there's a, there's quite a difference between California and Washington. I mean, there's, there are mountains and there are really rugged places and stuff, but Washington, I mean, I've lived in California up until three and a half, almost four years ago, my whole life in California. Um, Washington has a weirdness factor that, that is kind of like, it's, it's, you know, I don't know if you ever saw Spinal Tap, but it's on 11. <laughs> I 
I love Spinal Tap. I saw them twice, and and when they actually played a show, it was so much fun. But anyway, that's a whole, whole other time. But but yeah, it's it, it, Washington has a different kind of weirdness to it, and it's it's just a different feel. California has weirdness, but but up here, there's just something else. But people don't realize how much room the mountains are. You know, when you talk to people that are from like cities and stuff like that, and you say mountains, they have no idea how big our mountains are. And they all connect, dude. I mean, our mountains, like we were up on top of a mountain the other day, and you could see, I mean, to the end of where you could see, you could see that there's there's areas. Like I talked to some of my friends that have been, uh, work for the game department. I have friends that work at the game department and work, friends that worked a long time ago. And they, they even said, you know, they said, we've, we've horsebacked into places where people don't go. Mm-hmm. There's places out there where people don't step foot in. I mean, there's still that much forest out there. Oh, yeah. I, I have a similar conversation with people often. Uh, it, it, people don't comprehend how much wilderness there still is left in this world. Uh, yeah. We, yeah. We, people don't go where there aren't roads most of the time. And, yeah. uh, and, you know, from a human point of view, it looks like, you know, we're going all over the world. We're doing this and that. Well, no, we're going where people go in the world. Yeah, we're taking the easy route. You know, we, take, we go on the road. We get off of there. You know, I mean, there's places, uh, like I said, I mean, fly over in an airplane, fly over from California to Washington and look down. I mean, there's endless miles of, of forest. Endless. Hey, one thing I wanted to throw into, just not going backwards, but actually going backwards. Um, you guys were, were talking about uh, the possibility that maybe they they leave certain areas to let them uh, give them a, ta- a chance to regrow, and et cetera. And I don't, for me, I mean, I think that's a really interesting um, idea. I just, I think from when Kathy and I were together, a lot of the information that we um, that we saw was that it's kind of basic in that they follow the deer and that's pretty much it. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, so, I think I, it's, there's, there's so much food up here though, not just deer. I mean, there's endless fish, animals, berries, mushrooms. I mean, there's frogs. I mean, there's, there's endless food, you know, endless food. Yeah. yeah, and some of them follow the deer, some of them follow the elk, and the ones who follow the elk are the ones who get huge, apparently. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, there there is certainly, you know, something to that as well. They'll disappear from an area because they're just going where the herds go. Sure, yeah, that's that's got to be a factor, I imagine. Yeah. Hey, one thing, too, um, what people don't realize is, you know, everybody thinks that, um, you know, the, the Gimlin film, you know, Patty, you know, they all think that Bigfoot looks like that. The two that I saw did not look like that. The two that I saw were tall and very thin and very muscular, and they were almost built like I would say like a professional like NBA basketball player. They were real lengthy and real skinny. They weren't all huge like what what everybody thinks. I'm very glad you mentioned that because I wanted to go back and ask each of you what your Sasquatches look like. So yours were tall and skinny. Um, yep. Did you did you notice anything? anything in particular about the face um the face had was covered with hair um i couldn't really see the eyes because their hair was all over i mean there was hair all over it what i do remember that's always burned into my thoughts is when i turned my lights on on my truck and they were walking across the road the arm lifted up and i could see the hair under the under the forearm it was probably about four or five inches long and i could when my light hit it the hair was so light that you could see the hair just 
in the wind just moved back and forth the, the hair so it was very yeah. fine hair yes yep it was a fine hair on there for him yep interesting yep and mantra you mentioned camouflage i wanted to ask you about that but th- that fine fine silky kind of hair i wonder if it if it goes toward providing camouflage because it can kind of move and absorb the light from different angles and I'm just thinking about it in terms of providing camouflage and, and the way the light hits it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think these things are so incredibly stealthy. They could be standing right in front of you and you wouldn't see them because they are, they know how to blend in with their environment. There's something I want to mention too. There's a, a, a really awesome guy's name is Pete Travers and he's got a website that's called the painted cave. And um, if you go to the painted uh, he has something that he'd worked on for years and years, and it's actually, uh, I don't know, I think it's fairly old now, but he's got a couple different things. The head sketch submission form, which is you can put something in if you've got something as far as uh, what you saw, if you saw like a head or a body or whatever. But he's also got these galleries of different sketches. They're like a police sketch. So of different body types, different head sketches of what uh, these folks have seen. And it's so interesting to take a look at what he's got because he's drawing these from from eyewitnesses. And so to put them all together in one spot, there are so many different body types. Um, just like and, just and, like us. And I mean, faces, think think yeah. about us. We don't all look alike. We all have di- very different. And it's it's always been just fascinating to me to look at his stuff because it, you, there's no other place I've ever seen a, a glut of eyewitness sketches where you can see such a difference. And, you know, and sometimes, you know, with people, I mean, I, I, you'll see something and later on, even a week or two or a month later, you'll think, you know, did it really look like that? And you start questioning what you saw. But if you get a sketch done in time, you're going to catch all the details that you might forget or, or start wondering if they were real. So if you get a chance, take a look at that website. Um, it's it's interesting and it's really a neat base to kind of to kind of get an idea of the, all the different body types of these things. I'm gonna check that out immediately. Could you give us the URL one more time? Yeah, it's uh www.thepaintedcave.com. Thepaintedcave.com. Yeah, and I had to. It's kind of hard to find sometimes, but if you can't find it, just just Google like the painted cave, and then his name is Pete Travers. Cool. And a super interesting guy. I haven't talked to him in, in years, but really neat guy. So I'm going to check that out directly. Um, the, the, <laughs> the variations in appearance, I mean, sure, of course, they all look different because they're all individual, just like us. We all look different. Sure, I get that. But I, there, there, there seems to be more to it. There seems to be another factor because sometimes their appearances can vary much more than one would think it would within a species you know, just based on from individual to individual, like we were talking about the canines. Sometimes they have huge prominent canines. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they have hair all over their face. Sometimes they have zero hair on their face. It just, um, sometimes the, the variations just seem too much. And I, I tend to wonder, this is where I get kind of speculative. I, I wonder about how much this has to do with the infusion of human DNA. I mean, we're all familiar with the stories of abductions yep. by Sasquatch. It seems to me they quite often abduct men for mating purposes, which makes a lot of sense. So, like, they they infuse their 
their populations with human DNA. And it seems to me, I have always assumed that that is for the purpose of avoiding inbreeding, just to, you know, get some new fresh genes into the mix. Um, and, and, and I'm sure that's definitely a very prominent part of it. But recently, it has also occurred to me, and this is highly speculative, of course, it's just an idea, but they do know so much about us and they do observe us so well that I wonder if they intentionally infuse their populations with human DNA for the purpose of certain of their individuals being more like us, having more of our cognition and therefore learning more about us. I just wonder if they do this intentionally to learn more about us. Does that sound like super weird or what? No, that's that's an idea. I mean, we we just don't know. I mean, there's there's just so many different ways of looking at it. We don't know if they're more ape-like in their thinking or if they're more developed and actually are capable of doing things like people say they can do, like they they vanish and all you see are like heat signature waves, things like that. We just don't know until until we actually someone somebody's grandma hits one, you know, on the freeway or something. We're not going to yeah. really know. You know, when I go by is, you know, the natives that I've talked to, the different Native American tribes and stuff, um, they all refer to them as a type of people. And to me, like, I have a real issue when people say it's an ape because to me, an ape wouldn't be smart enough to pull this off. So that's that's the issue that I have with that. Because if you go back even traditionally and look at even in biblical times, they talked about, I mean, there's all kinds of different references to these type of natives or type of people, whatever they are. Yeah, yeah. Right. And there's people, too, that think that maybe, you know, again, it's another hypothesis, but that, okay, possibly maybe we're all some giant Petri dish experiment from some sort of, uh, you know, extraterrestrial or something. And they were one of the first that they had maybe tried to develop into into a human or something or something. I don't know. And, uh, you know, again, this is just a... I'm not saying I believe this. I'm just saying it's out there as a story. So um, and that maybe they're capable of other things that we're not, you know, that they are mostly human and they just kind of didn't work out to whatever end, whoever the creator was. You know, I don't know. Yeah, The natives have a lot of stories of how they used to communicate with them a lot more. You know, of course, you know, just, you know, we've all become more civilized. So we're not out there like we used to be, you know. Are the two of you at all familiar with the work of Edgar Cayce? Uh, vaguely. Okay. Well, he was uh, a clairvoyant. He's arguably the most documented psychic of all time. You know, he's got over 14,000 readings that were recorded verbatim. He, you know, over time, you know, I've been studying him for more than 25 years, and he just proved I watch, himself. I watch a lot of the things on the History Channel about him. You know, they have a lot yeah. of that. Yeah. I just don't know. I know just superficially, but yeah, I've never really studied his stuff. Well, I mention it because I tend to look at this from, I, I've come to trust the Edgar Casey material over a long period of time, and I tend to look at it in, in part from the perspective of the, of the Edgar Casey material. And he spoke about spiritual beings who became involved in flesh, like we, we these children of the, the creator, you know, we, we became involved in flesh to the point where we became trapped in flesh, and then there were various versions of humanity that kind of helped in our process of refinement as we reincarnated, you know, for the purpose of ultimately refining ourselves to the point where we can once again join the, the source, the one. So he spoke about these various version, versions of humanity and root races, and he spoke of these spiritual beings 
causing the endocrine systems of primates, early primates on Earth, to uh, secrete more over time. And, and kind of these spiritual beings guided the, the, the development of these primates over time by manipulating the secretions of their endocrine system to kind of form humanity. And, and so I'm thinking Sasquatch is somewhere in, in all that. I know it sounds, you know, for someone who's not familiar with Edgar Casey, it's a lot to take in all at once. <laughs> but, you know, it's just one of those things that kind of, that's just one of the perspectives that I try to adopt when, when looking at the Sasquatch problem, because Edgar Casey said a lot of stuff that might tie into that. So Right. Yep. So now I want to get into uh, the, the couple aspect of, of things. Like, I want to talk about your research experiences after you joined forces and how being a couple has impacted things. And, you know, just what's the couple experience in Bigfooting? You want to go? Go <laughs> I guess I got nominated on this one. Okay. Well, um, for us, it, there's a different dynamic than there would be for. Um, two women or whatever, because, you know, with, with Kyle, of course, I feel more protected because, you know, I, I know he would be able to shoot something and, and, you know, we probably end up with it in our freezer. But I think that, uh, for example, when we're out, especially in the wintertime, I think the wintertime is, is really a fun time for us to go out bigfooting because you can see prints. It's much easier. <laughs> and, there's not as many people out. Yeah, and there's not many people out because it's so darn cold and, and uncomfortable. So what we like to do is we like to get out on our snowmobile and we go out. And, of course, I'm on the back. He's on the front. And we just kind of take our time and go down as many, you know, like out at the Bumping Lake, areas like that, where there's just what was roads that are now blocked off that you can't get in. We just take the snowmobile and go out for miles and miles and miles and miles. And... um when he's looking one direction, like I'm watching in the back of his head. So when he looks to the right, I'm looking to the left. And then when I see him move his head to look the other way, I look the opposite way. So we're kind of covering both sides of the road the whole time we're out there. We'll stop and we'll listen. And it just, it's, it's really a neat thing because one of the, the things about it that I enjoy the most is just the trust factor. When you're out with other researchers, you know, you want to be able to trust them. You want to, be able to feel like they've got your back but if it's your partner if it's if it's a loved one and you know your your husband or whatnot then you know that they're going to tell you the truth you know that if they see something they're going to tell you and it just it really is a lot more relaxing i don't know how else to put it i'm sure you'll find that too sam when you you and your and your um your loved one go out but yeah it's different it is different. Yeah, and and we've already gone out a couple of times, and even though it's early days, I can already begin to appreciate the impact that that dynamic has and how it it, it uh, influences things and the whole experience. You you guys mentioned you know the experience that you had uh, with the meetup group. What what's another what's another prominent experience that you, that the two of you have had together? So okay, so another one that was actually pretty fun was there's a TV show that that I do down in Fresno. That's just a, a once a month TV show that's called paranormal journeys. And my good friend, Jackie meter, she's, she's the host and I'm the co-host. Once I moved up here, cause I was living in California at the time. Once I moved up here, I was having to fly down and, and uh, whatnot to go to do the show. So I said, well, Hey, you know, you guys should come up here. We'll do, we'll do a show on, on Bigfooting and stuff because up here in Washington, it's just, you know, there's some great areas, et cetera. Uh, if you hear heavy panting, it's not me or Kyle. It's actually the dog. So uh, that's what you say. That's what you say, Mantra. <laughs> the after hour show. 
Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, this will be for the subscribers only. Yeah. <laughs> only four ninety nine. So, yeah. so anyway, so Jackie and and, uh, the, and film the film crew, they flew up here to Washington. We picked them up. We're going to go do some filming up at Bumping Lake. So when they got here, we drove out and we stayed at, um, at Kyle has a, a cabin up there. And uh, so we stayed at the cabin. By the time we all got there and got settled, because they, they'd just flown in and um, it was what about? Close to 11, something like that at night. It was yeah. raining and pouring. and pouring, but Kyle and I were so excited for them to be there. And we were so excited to be up at bumping again. We're like, hey, does anybody want to go Bigfooting, you know? And so, <laughs> so Johnny, who's uh, one of the film guys and he's one of the directors, really neat guy. He's like, yeah, and he's never been before. He's like, I'll do it, I'll do it. And everybody else is too tired, so they stay back. So Kyle and I and Johnny, we got in the trunk and it's pouring rain. Got in the truck, went up to bumping which is about another 25 minutes up the road, something like that, 20 minutes. It's about 40, I guess so. Yeah, it's about 40 minutes. And a long, long, windy road to get there. Um, We parked in this one parking lot that's right on the edge of of the water. And um, And it's empty up there. I mean, there's nobody there. Yeah. Campground's empty. I mean, it's, it's pouring. Like, I'm talking like if you step outside, it's raining so hard that you feel like you just had a bucket <laughs> like of water dumped water on you. Yeah. You know? And it was late October, so yeah. nobody's up there camping and stuff. And anyhow, so we're all sitting there and we're telling Johnny, yeah, you know, this is, you know, we like to do this and here's what we do. And, and Johnny's like, wow, that's really cool, you know. And then as we're sitting there in the truck with the windows cracked open, yeah. we started hearing howls. And not howls like they well i'd say screams i guess they're not howls (laughs) they weren't a coyote or a wolf and they were um very long and drawn out and they're communicating yeah and there were two and and so johnny (laughs) it's funny because kyle and i are just sitting there listening to it going wow and johnny had the sense of mind to record it (laughs) whereas kyle and i were like wow that's just really cool we didn't even bother (laughs) <laughs> Which I hear, think back, and I'm hear, like, I've heard him lots of times, you know. We know. So Johnny hit the record button on his phone, and um, and got it recorded. Now you can hear the rain, and then you can hear the screams. Yeah. And one of the last screams has this kind of tone to it that sounds kind of monkey-like at the end. It's yeah. kind of a yeah. a weird ending. So, but anyway, that was that was a lot of fun, and it was so awesome that Johnny, on his first time out. <laughs> gets to hear gets to hear that which is like wow i never heard nothing like that yeah wow that's insane and we're telling them you know that the chances of this happening to someone who you know to anybody i mean it's it's a whole you know a lot of times with kyle and i go through years we don't hear anything else at one time we'll hear something be like wow yeah so i mean it most of the time it's like watching paint dry but it's just nice to be out in the woods, but it's really there's there can be nothing happen for, for quite a long period of time. But sure. It just kinda happens when it's gonna happen, doesn't it? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Whether yeah, you're prepared no or not. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So. Yeah. And and I mean, speaking of being prepared, I mean, you know, squatchers go out and they do all this stuff to make sure they can capture the moment when they when it finally comes. But you, you can never really truly be prepared. Even those I mean, if you're not already recording something, those few seconds that it takes to take out your phone and hit the button, you know, I mean. Exactly. Yeah. It's already gone by then. Yeah. The the thing is, is people have no idea 
how to react once it does happen because I've had something happen that I would never, never want that to happen again. So, um, be, I always tell people like, be, you know, I was that way. I was always out looking and always out looking and always trying to get myself in that situation, you know, to get a real close reaction with one. And, and then when it happened, I was, you're never prepared for that. You, and you won't be able to be prepared for it because when it happens, it's, it's, it's pretty scary. It's a pretty scary thing when it happens. Well, you got my curiosity peaked. What happened? <laughs> I was up in that area that the, on the call of a reservation in my boat. And uh, I was called blasting that Ron Moorhead CD. You know, it has them talking. The Sierra Sound. The Sierra oh, yeah. Sound. Yep. And um, so I was, I had, I had a, you know, I have a pretty nice system on the boat where I can blare that up the, the canal in the mountain. And as I kept blaring that up and blaring it up and, and then in one week I kept doing it and nothing, didn't get any response or anything. And then just one night I happened to, one evening I happened to do it and something mimicked it and did the exact same thing back coming down the mountain. Wow. Well, then I got so excited. I'm like, oh my gosh, because you could hear like trees breaking down, like something really aggressive coming down this mountain. And that mountain, I climbed that mountain. Me and my buddy, um, he's a military guy from Colville. We climbed that same mountain. It took us all day to get to the top. And this thing, in a matter of minutes, came down that mountain, and it was tearing trees out of the ground. I mean, you could hear the trees just getting ripped down. Me, being who I was, like, I'd never, like, had something like this happen before. So I anchored the boat. I jumped out of my boat, and I swam to the shore, and I put my shoes on, and start trucking up the mountain to to get close to it and it came down and it got really close to it and it screamed at me and i've never felt a power that hit me this scream was so it was so it was it's so hard to even explain but this thing was so loud and so deep crazy sound it felt like i grabbed it i mean it felt like it actually electrocuted me i felt like if i were to grab onto an electric fence that i couldn't let go Damn. um so i what i did is um i got the the fight fight or flight you know because this thing came running at me and i got pretty close and then all of a sudden when that big roar hit me i turned around to try to run to the lake to get in the water to get to my boat and i could not move I was frozen. I could not move. And to this day, I'm, I don't know what happened, but I've, and I've never had anything in my life happen like that. But it's like, I, I, I could, even though I, my eyeballs could move around and my head could twitch or anything, I could not move. I couldn't move my legs or I couldn't move my arms. And, and it was awful. I mean, it was awful. And it only lasted for probably about, Mm, 60 seconds but it seemed like an eternity um when i tried to move and try to get to get into that water almost felt like a warmness like kind of like somebody taking like a i always explain it to like if you're like at somewhere and somebody behind you's got you got a gun stuck to your back and you don't know if he's going to kill you or not it was that type of feeling it was the most awful feeling whoa and then, yeah and and I felt like um like somebody like took a gunny sack and like 
pulled it over my head to, to where like they're going to take you hostage, you know, you know, and you feel this warmth come over the top of your skull. And I'm not kidding you. Um, as soon as that 60 seconds, it's something just let go. When I let go, I ran across. I'm not kidding you. I ran across that water so hard. I was probably on top of that water. And when I got to my boat, man, I pulled anchor up and I got out of there. And uh, when he was standing there too. Yeah. I remember he told me this part that's kind of always stuck yeah. with me is he heard this thing. Now he's facing the water. So the yeah. thing is behind him. Behind me. And I could hear you the could breathing. Hear breathing. Like, yeah. And, and it was a snarly, like gurgly sound. Like it was having a hard time breathing. I mean, it came down that mountain faster than anything I've ever, that I could ever know. I mean, I don't know how anything could come down the mountain with that kind of power and that fast. Right, he was and, mad. Yeah. He was mad. Yeah. That's why he's like, well, who yeah, the yeah. hell, who the hell is yeah. doing these so calls? Whatever, so whatever that head. stuff, whatever that stuff Ron has on that CD, it probably isn't a very nice thing, whatever that thing's saying. That's my <laughs> guess. Well, it, it it was definitely something that, that didn't sit well with the resident alpha, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's, why, that's why I tell people, you know, I went to a conference and I'm telling them this and I'm not, and I'm not kidding you. I mean, that, that gave me PTSD. I mean, there's times you can ask Mantra, man, I jump out of my sheets at night onto the onto my feet. Um, well, it's, he, the it's, other thing uh, too is he was sick after that for three days. Yeah, after that I was sicker than a dog. I felt like I had the flu. I I I, I laid in my camper for three days. Man, this pattern. There's there's the pattern that that it, this experience happens and the person cannot move. This happens over and over again, and then this the the following sickness. Um, mm -hmm. do you think that's infrasound? What do you, what do you think is going on? I mean, I know we that's don't know. People, that's what people have told me. And that's what, it, that's the only thing I could think of that it could be, you know, I don't know I what so that is, but I mean, that pretty much, you know, says it all because I'm, 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 I'm a big man. You know, I mean, I grew up taking martial arts since I was like five years old. I did, um, I actually, uh, um, steer wrestled. I used, I, um, Les Patterson was my bulldog trainer. Roger Patterson's brother was my rodeo trainer. Wow. And you did MMA. I did years. MMA. I did all these stream sports and everything. I'm not afraid of anything, but whatever happened up there, I'm afraid of. And, and it was hard for me for, for a long time. I'd drive by there with my boat, and I don't ever get off and go, go into that spot. I just I drive right by and just look at it and remember what happened. We've been thinking um, about going on it together, but yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't really have any think that I want to go know. back and do that because yeah, it I, was whatever. It wasn't wasn't happy. Whatever it was, it was not happy. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. Well, at least at least you got to learn something. Like you know, yeah. by, by process of elimination. Like okay, well, there's something on this CD that's gonna piss yeah. off an alpha. You know, if I. <laughs> So, I mean, that, that tells tell, you something. That's why I tell people, what if the situation, what if, what if as a human, I thought about this over and over, I'm like, what if I would have made the wrong move? What if I would have went up, got closer to it? You end up in people, a Pilates book. Probably. The thing is, is this is what people don't realize is they're looking for something that when they find it, what can they do? There's nothing. It doesn't matter. You can't, there's nothing you're going to be able to do. It's up to, it's not up to to us. It's up to them. Well, you're not the apex you know predator I mean? when you're. We're the little guy in this thing, you know? Right. I mean, so that's why I tell people, be really careful what you go seeking for. Because if you find it, you might not know how to react or what to do, you know? That's why I see 
it is kind of a spiritual approach. Like the people who are approaching from a spiritual point of view are the only ones who can actually kind of meet the phenomenon on equal ground. I mean, if we're approaching it from a physical place, like I want to learn what you are physically and I want to, you know, I want to get a DNA sample from you and, and you know, touch your hair and stuff. I mean, it, when you're approaching it from a physical point of view, you're you're completely overpowered, overwhelmed. I mean, you're completely vulnerable and helpless. But I feel that the only real way to approach it as, you know, on an, on an equal place, like I am one being that wants to meet you, this other being, uh, th that that might yield the best results. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, I think you're right. I think that, that really there is, if like what Kyle says, be careful what you wish for when you go out looking, because if you're approached by one, if, if something bluff charges you, there's nothing you can do as far as evidentiary value. All you're doing is having a personal experience and not a good one. You're just so, hoping you're going to be able to get out of there, you know, yeah. and not get hurt. Um, if you're having something more on a, a, a different level where, you know, even what is it, Les Shroud, I think, said he had some sort of mind speak or something like that, which I, I don't know. I've not experienced that. But, you know, if you're having something on a different level like that, then I would think like what you're saying, it's more of an even playing field because you're not in any physical danger. Right. So. And I think those situations might be the ones in which uh, they're, they're, uh, better evidence is yielded as well. I mean, if you're meeting on a spiritual level and you're interacting, then there would be the, the understanding and the communication and maybe, I mean, hell, you might even just be able to say, can I take a picture of you? <laughs> I mean, yeah. Here, let me fog up your camera real quick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, maybe with the right energy, they'll just, you know, reach on to their arm and yank out a piece of hair and give it to you. I mean, you know, who, who knows? Well, if... you know what, though? It, it, it depends on the agenda of the researcher, because if you like Kyle and I, we go out because we enjoy it and we want to learn about this species. We want to know what it is. What's it capable of? Yeah, I don't plan on ever making any money off it or anything. I'm just no. I mean, for the experiences that I've had, I'm trying. It's like a giant puzzle. and. Yeah, all, why we do this research, I always get a piece and I put it together, right? But then it creates another piece that you have to figure out and then another piece and then another piece. Yeah. And, but uh, to us, it's all about, to me, I want to learn. I'm, I want to know what they are and what they can do and, and if they can help us or, you know, um, you know. I feel very much the same way. Um, I, for me, it's about expanding human consciousness. Uh, it's yep. about a lot of things. I mean, it's about, you know, yep. helping, helping them, but it's also about helping us and expanding consciousness yep. and just, you understanding. know, right. Yeah, understanding. Yeah. 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 And, you know, and then there's other people that, you know, there's kind of two other buckets and then there's the other folks that just want to go out and get some piece of evidence that's going to make them famous because, or whatever reason, that's what motivates them. Sure. Um, yeah. You know, and unfortunately, there's a lot of people like that that don't really have a genuine fascination with this. They just are in it because maybe, you know, whatever. Get attention or whatever. Yeah, they, yeah. They, you know, yep. so, but then, and then there's the other bucket of folks that, that you know, um, and I totally understand it, that think that we need to have a body just so that they can be, um, you know, prove as as a as a species, and then um, and then protected. So, and I and I understand that totally. So there's you know there's three different kinds of folks out there that are in general, and I mean, there's tons of different people. But um, you know, as far as what Kyle and I have seen out there, uh, and oh, and then there's another one, which are the folks that are maybe 
in my mind, a little more extreme when it comes to the, um, I don't know, spiritual or whatever you'd want to call it. Um, and maybe what motivates them is a little more something I, I can't grasp. So, hmm. um, until, yeah. until I always tell everybody, you know, you know, you'd never think of this stuff until it happens to you. When it happens to you, then you know, you know what I mean? Until then, you, you listen to what everybody says and you take everything with a little, you know, grain of salt, you know. But when you experience it yourself, then you know. Yeah. And it's going and it's to say how to approach this, because if we approach it as an as an animal, as a flesh and blood animal, then then we're only trying to gather certain kinds of evidence. But if we approach it as, you know, a spiritual creature of some kind, then, you know, everything's a little different and, and you're not going to really get any tangible evidence. You're going to have more of a personal experience. So hmm. I, I think it just depends on what you're looking for. I mean, if you look at the technology just, you know, between now and like 20 years ago, I mean. We're finding out all kinds of things that we thought that were not possible that they are possible. So, I mean, I don't think we're quite quite there yet, you know. Sure. Oh yeah, we're learning and learning. We're just kind of yeah. uh, we're we're just kind of gathering information, and I I think it's we're at a point where we need to just just absorb it without trying to figure it out too much, and just kind of right. yeah, just kind of let it all reveal itself to to us, you know. Yeah. As long as as long as folks are open minded, you know, then it then it's going to work out for you. It's it's when you start putting yourself in a box or putting uh, parameters on what you think this thing is capable of. That's that's when you start, I, I think anyway, having problems. And and it's the same thing in in any other genre too, UFOs or ghost hunting. If you start doing things a certain way, you're going to end up with the same results over and over. Just like I've, I've talked to people that you know that. I've had experiences and they said they've seen these things come out of a UFO. I can't say that's right or wrong because I've never seen that. So I, I don't know. Yeah. There's just all kinds of stuff happening. It's we're just absorbing it. You know, I mean, I, yeah. we, we, we can't give it any answers right now, but I mean, to me, it's just, it's kind of like that monolith that appears in 2001, <laughs> a space odyssey. And, yeah. You know, it, you know, all of a sudden it, it appears amidst these australopithecines and, and, you know, whereas they had been doing just completely primitive stuff, all of a sudden this monolith appears in their mists and, and it kind of forces their consciousness to expand just to attempt to figure out what it is. And then all of a sudden they're using bones as tools. And so, yeah. I mean, yeah. just the mere contemplation of the mystery itself advances human consciousness, which, yeah. you know, I'm all about it. Even if we don't get the direct answers right away, it still is evolving human consciousness in some in some ways. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I completely agree. Me yeah. too, I completely yeah. agree with that. Well, okay, we are in the last few minutes of the show. I want to ask you guys one more question, and then I want to hear all about what happened at Skinwalker Ranch. And uh, <laughs> Okay, so my, my final question for you guys, and I certainly don't want to embarrass you good people, but, you know, you guys are a couple, and I hear a lot about using sex in the field for research purposes, and so I wondered... Uh, has sex in the field for you guys either intentionally or unintentionally uh, led to Sasquatch interaction? Um, for us, no. There, there, we haven't had anything like that. Um, I think, um, I, you know, you'd have to be in just with any, any time, any. We'd have to be at the right place at the right time. But I, I just don't think. Uh, yeah, I don't. I haven't had that experience. Yeah, and it's not yeah. even something that we've really like really thought about too much because 
first of all, it'd be really distracting and we wouldn't be paying attention to what's around us. So there are flaws. There are flaws. And if you've had what I happened to me, that'd be the one thing that I would not want to be doing is trying to get my. Exactly. You don't want to be out there naked and get hit with infrasound. That would really suck. Oh my gosh, that'd be even more devastating than when you're wearing clothes. <laughs> that turn over a whole nother leaf. <laughs> we probably need to get some counseling after something like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I guess the long answer is no. And I, I, you know, I mean, it's, I'm sure That's possible. it's yeah. some, maybe it's worth a try. I don't know, but I don't think that um, the way we do research, I don't know. I don't think it's even. Yeah. Yeah, I've just, I've heard about people using sex to draw them in, you know, put on a good show, get the sense out there and the pheromones and whatnot, you know, just, you know, just using it as one possible method of, of drawing in Sasquatches and, you know, you guys are. You're creating an energy that they probably want to know what's going on. Yeah, but you know what though, I I have pheromone chips that, that we hang out in trees and stuff and, and oh God, they stink horribly. But anyway, they're infused with, um, with human and gorilla pheromones and i i think i'd rather just you know wave something like that around out there than have to have to worry <laughs> about you know ending up on youtube somewhere you know yeah. there was a, I don't a camper be, nearby I don't or something missing people yeah that too yeah well that's that's fair enough but <laughs> i just wanted to know <laughs> i just wanted to know what you'd have to say about it so, So, yeah, with the last few minutes, guys, I want to hear all about Skinwalker Ranch. I'm I'm waiting with bated breath. Now I have to hear about it. (laughs) That was the experience of a lifetime, let me tell you. And we got to to go with a really good friend, too. Yeah, this was before the the show was on stuff. And and so what we did is um, a friend of ours arranged, made all the arrangements, Dave Miller. He's an awesome guy. Um, And we were over, there's a ranch. Borders Skinwalker. It's called Space Wolf Ranch, and so um, it actually looks. It's a little bit above Skinwalker, so it, you can see everything. You can look down on Skinwalker from this. Yeah, it's cool because you can see the ranch cool. house. You, you can, can see the pen, the bait pen. You, you can see everything. You can see the whole ridge line. Everything yeah. is just right there because right you're there. only I don't know what is it maybe a half mile or something to the or less yeah, yeah. or less and yeah. so um, to the actual the ridge behind everything where you see and. Um, Anyhow, so we'd gone there, um, and a friend of ours, yeah, Barry Fitzgerald, who's, we can't say enough good things about him. He's just such an awesome guy. He's talked about awesome guy that knows a lot. He's a smart man. Yeah. He lives in Ireland. He, he used to be on the show, um, Ghost Hunters International. International. Yeah. Um, he was one of the guys on that show, but anyway, amazing guy. And he does amazing stuff in, in Ireland still. Uh, so anyway, he flew out. And um, and also uh, we had uh, the film crew there too from from Paranormal Journeys and stuff. And so I think one of the most um, memorable things was that when we were watching the skies at night up there, we were there for three nights, and I've never seen things move like that in the sky. There were these, and I can only say UFOs because they were unidentified. doesn't mean they have little green men on them or anything or that they're even manned, but these things jerk around the sky, and I don't know how they could move that way. What, Plus, they have beams of light that come down to the ground, too. We've had all kinds yeah, of light. there was anomalies. weird kinds of... We had orbs. Oh, we had 
we had uh, beams, just big beams of light on the Mesa. Um, it was crazy. I mean, it was crazy. It was more than I expected. There was a lot more stuff going on there yeah. than I expected. Yeah. What does jerking around the sky mean, Mantra? So if you were just to see a point of light, and then that point of light goes dramatically to the right, and it's just stationary, and then it goes to the left down, you know, yeah, to the left, and then it goes back up to the right. It, the way that it maneuvered, it, it's just nothing can maneuver like that. Yeah, there's nothing that that's. I know. Number. I know exactly what you're talking about. That was uh, a, a main feature of my own UFO sighting uh, as a child in the Midwest. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, it, it, it would. It, it didn't speed up and slow down. It was just completely right. stationary in the sky, yep. and then it would yes. just zip to another point and be completely yep. stationary. And it did this, you know, in the in a triangular pattern. It was doing this for a long time. So I think that's pretty much what you're describing, Mantra. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Right. Enough to where when you're looking at it, you're like, wait a minute, is that a star? Because it's not moving. And then all of a sudden, zip, it moves to another point, and it's stationary again. And And so... It's just so weird, and and even as you're looking at it, you're thinking, "What the hell is it? It's got to there's got to be an explanation, but there isn't any." Yeah. Um, um, but boy, there's some big lights that came down um, out of the sky to the to the mesa, like like big giant like spotlights almost like hitting the ground. It was really yeah. The first night we were there, um, we thought, "Oh, you know what? There's got to be roads up there on the on." the ridge on Skinwalker Ridge up there because we kept seeing what looked like car lights just aiming, you know, up onto the different parts of the, of the ridge up there. And, um, there are no roads up there. And so what we were seeing were just weird spotlights that would come and go at different places. And, um, they just, they were just nonsensical. I, I still don't even know what in the world they were. There were no people up there. We had one of the nights we were down there too. We were walking along the uh, the fence line, and to our right, we could see this big blue. I don't know how big it was. I'm guessing it was about the size of a basketball because you can't tell depth wise how far it was in. This big blue ball of light that was just kind of bobbing and weaving between trees. And floating around and just yeah. just taking a sweet time and just maneuvering around. And it, it, I don't know what it was. There wasn't any person over there. So, yeah, there was. It was a, really weird. One night they did put some animals in their bait pen. Oh, yeah, that was and not, there was, that was not And there was gunshots going off and stuff. We thought, what the hell are they doing down there? On that yeah, they, they killed all the lights over there. So you couldn't see anything. Yeah. Normally it's lit up. And they loaded the bait pens with animals. And you could hear the yeah. animals screaming. What was what were the, the gunshots going off for? I don't know. Whatever they were shooting at, whatever's trying to get those animals in those pens. It seemed like, yeah, they it were trying to like bring something shooting. in. They were trying to bring lure something in and shoot it. Yeah. Hmm. I would like to know what that was. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Me too. Because I thought, this is weird. This is just straight up weird. And Why would you shoot at night like that? You know what I mean? Well, why, why would you turn everything off? Why would you put the animals in the pens, turn all the lights off, and then start shooting at things? Yeah. <laughs> you know. Now, when we were there, too, the folks, um, there's a caretaker there at, at uh, Space Wolf Ranch and um, a young couple, and they had just put up a building outside. It was like a, a tall shed. you know. The, yeah, they were going to put the um, 
the stuff in so they can have their cameras and stuff in there to, yeah. to keep observing what's going on there. Yeah. And it was a good size. It was probably like, I don't know, 24 by 12 by 24, maybe something like yeah. that. A good yeah. size, uh, nice, tall kind of a building. Anyway, and um, the caretaker said that uh, he was telling Kyle and I about this, that he had seen a few nights prior, there were three what looked like tall, skinny, Bigfoot type creatures. and they were smacking the light bulbs out of the the um what is it the motion sensor lights. Yeah, they were actually they ripped it off. Actually. Yeah, it, it showed, and they were they were stuck on metal that actually ripped the the metal siding. Yeah, off. you could see up top. You could see up top where they've been just like, yanked down. Those are like twelve feet up in the air. You know? Yeah, and he said these things were smacking them until, until like, yeah they broke it off. Until they broke off the light. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's yeah. crazy. <laughs> it's yeah. Just, yeah, it's just, it's so weird. So that Uinta Basin has every kind of phenomena you can think of. It has, you know, audio phenomena. They hear disembodied voices. They hear, uh, they see UFOs that people have seen, uh, you know, Bigfoot type creatures. They've seen other type of, of cryptids that are just a weird mishmash of other animals and such. They've seen um you know, giant wolves, they've seen all kinds of things and balls of light of three different colors. And some of them are denote different things depending on the color. Um, so, and of course the show now, of course, you know, they have all kinds of weird stuff there and the cattle mutilations and such. So it's just, it's such a crazy place and it doesn't, it just doesn't make any sense as to why all this phenomena would be wadded up and, and in this area. Um, ah, it's, it's, it's pretty incredible. Yeah, there are certain places that are just focal points for this stuff. And as a matter of fact, that's why I moved to Siskiyou County, where I am it, currently, Siskiyou County, California, very near Mount Shasta. Mount uh, Shasta, yeah, is another one of those places where it's yep. just like a concentration of the weird stuff. And yep. Yeah, that's so that's what I came here for. I'm I'm here trying to figure it out. Skinwalker Ranch is another one of those places. Um, they're just these focal areas of, of the weird. So I mean, you know, what I do, I, you know what you should look into is the mag. See what kind of magnetic fields that you have around those areas, because um, Barry has like a satellite image of these areas, and it shows the the mag magnetic anomaly, the anomaly of it, and yeah. uh, it's very interesting though, because if me and Monta started looking into that. And we're noticing on the on the on the satellite that the areas that we've had these things happen, they're, they they have a high frequency in those areas. And that is very much what I would like to do uh, here. As a matter of fact, I have a whole theory about Mount Shasta and and about how the deep volcanic activity yep. uh, it creates vibrations that uh, yep. it, you know resonates through the, through the minerals of the mountain and kind of broadcasts this paranormal signal, and and so everybody kind of goes to the to the mountain like moths to a paranormal flame so yeah yeah and i i mean there there are these physical anomalies all over the world skinwalker ranch may be another one of those the montana vortex of course is another one yeah um yeah so you have the same idea i have i have i have a belief that even the native americans you know hundreds of years ago they talked about these areas that they kept sacred to them and in these areas were a place that this phenomena would happen, but, you know, people call them portals, you know, that's the word that people use now that they think they're portals, but right. um, there's different areas and, and they're all around the world. They're not just in one area. They're, they're spread out. 
Yeah, as a matter of fact, Mount Shasta is kind of the kind of the spiritual twin of Mount Fuji because they're both part of the Ring of Fire and they both have all kinds of paranormal phenomena. So, you know, we've got these strange epicenters all over the world. Wasn't it the Lemurians or something that are supposed to live in Mount Shasta? Yeah. I'm probably mispronouncing that, but something like that, Lemurians. Yeah. You're absolutely correct, yeah. Um, there are all kinds of stories about Lemurians and and what is supposed to be in the mountain. I have I have some thoughts about that. I think there's there's something in the mountain. I don't think necessarily that there are people currently living in the mountain. I could be wrong about that, but um, I think there's something of archaeological significance to be found there, and there's plenty of paranormal stuff going on aside from that as well, so all kinds of stuff. The, the Lemurians were the things that I saw and had the robes on. Yeah, they're supposed to be living up in the mountains. Yeah, you know, yeah. Sam, though, there's one thing, too. If Something that Barry, I know Kyle was touching on here a second ago, Barry told us about that's really, really cool, is if you go to the magnetic anomaly map and data for North America, um, if you look up the the Earth's magnetic field, you're going to see there's all different colors. Um, the areas that are the most affected by that are in bright and pink is what you're going to see on the on the map. And you can go to, um, oh, it's mrdata.usgs.gov. And um, that's one spot that I like to look at quite a bit. And what we found is our research areas, we've got several, those areas that are the most active are on this map as pink, which shows that there's the most magnetic anomaly in that area. Um, the Uinta Basin is is pink too. And in that area, there was a tribe of headhunters. I mean, it's a very negative area. Oh boy, when um, you're there too, you feel it. Like, cause there's me, I'm very sensitive. So when I get in these areas, the hair on my arms will stand straight up in the air. You know, I'll, I'll have that feeling like, you know, when you're in an area where it's kind of hot, like, you know, you can walk in there and know. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, but you'll also find haunted haunted houses and things too, or areas where there's a lot of uh, paranormal activity are going to show up on this map in the same way. I am very, very glad you mentioned that mantra. Uh, I am going to look at that map and yeah, I knew, I knew we, we were getting at it. It was going to correspond to a color. Um, I'm excited now. I'm going to, you know, start looking for the pink areas. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. You know, I've, I've studied a lot of the native American you know stories and stuff like that but it's so interesting i've always had a belief that you know that why everybody's looking out above us for things that actually things are below us so yeah i don't know if you've looked into that but there's there's a lot of underground areas all throughout the united states yeah i am i also share your thinking in that regard as well i mean think about it like you know i mean all the history you know and everything is just that Caves too. You know, that, that are... we we've only explored just a little bit of our top. We don't even know what's in the bottom of our oceans. You know, yeah, we have no idea. That's so right. I'm looking right now at uh, at Shasta here, and it looks pretty pink on the map. You might want to check. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Before you buy a house, you might want to check the map. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm gonna I'm gonna intentionally buy a house in the pink areas. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Make sure that. <laughs> 
<laughs> have, some, have some interesting neighbors. Yeah. yeah no kidding. <laughs> Just keep your recorder on. Don't make the mistake we do and we turn it off and forget about it. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll have to invest in some, you know, automatic recording equipment and, uh, <laughs> Well, at least at least my neighbors will be in other dimensions, presumably. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, you know, you never know. I think we've had a few of those. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh well, Mantra and Kyle, Kyle and Mantra, we are at the end of the show. I could talk to you guys forever, and uh, I hope you don't think you're done with me because I'm going to keep talking <laughs> to you for a very long time into the future, and I'm not going to take no for an answer. So get used to well, me. Well, good, good. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you so much for that's having. That's really me. awesome that you have the same, you know, same beliefs that we do. That's really cool that you. Yeah. You seem like cool. you seem like you're very knowledgeable. You'll have oh. to come up here. Oh, I would love to. Yeah, and thank you for the kind words. And yes, I would absolutely love to come up there and and just kind of coerce you guys yeah. into taking I'll me. I'll take to you. Your... I'll take you to those spots. I'll I'll take you and show you. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, uh, sign me up. Definitely. Sweet. All right. Well, Mantra and Kyle, thank you guys so much for being on Type 471. I look forward to speaking to you many times again in the future. Us too. We look forward to talking to you again soon. All right. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Sam. Yep. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. All right. You guys take care. Have a good evening. Thanks. You too. too. Okay. Bye-bye. If you've encountered the extraordinary, shoot me an email at type471podcast at gmail.com. You can find Type 471 Podcast wherever podcasts are to be found. Follow the show to stay on top of my weekly episodes. If you like Type 471, you can help out the show by following and subscribing, liking, commenting on the platform of your choosing. And be sure to check out the Type 471 Podcast YouTube channel. Each YouTube video contains all media associated with each episode. And again, please consider subscribing to support the show. I'm Sam Kitchen. Thanks for listening to Type 471.